No family deserves to have to go through this. My mom loved her family and friends, especially her grandchildren. They were her pride and joy. This is the first time I don't get to send my mom flowers or give her a card on Mother's Day. See her beautiful garden and be with her for family gatherings. Mom, we love you and we miss you. We think of you every day. This is Megan and I'm Christy. And this is Homebrew Home Murder Crew. Thanks for joining us on another episode. Episode dos. That's two if you're just English speaking. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, you know, a little bit later than uh, we wanted it to be, but uh, we're in a mood today, as yes. Christy put it. I so... just got off work. It was a shit show. And... I'm here. I'm here. It is nine o'clock at nine thirty p.m. Nine thirty. We're gonna bust this out, and then I'm gonna do another twelve-hour shift tomorrow. Yikes! So what are we doing? What did we just listen to, Megan? So what you just heard there was a recording of a of a blah, 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 of go. a press conference, um, where the daughter of our victim in today's episode uh, was pleading to the media for the killer of her mother to come forward so we're gonna get to that later on in the episode but i just wanted to make sure you guys heard that before we got started we're gonna tarantino it a bit for you we're gonna start from the back and then flip it all around nice right that's a good analogy yeah all right so let's just get started we'll do all the other stuff at the end yeah if you want to stick around for that then you can if you don't want to then i guess you don't have to so we'll get started here so today we are covering the murder of irene carter of lethbridge alberta canada So Irene Carter was born on Christmas Eve, 1937. She was a wife, mother, grandmother, sister, aunt, and a friend to many. She married John, who went by the name, his middle name, Jack Carter, in Lethbridge in the early 1960s. John Jack Carter. John Jack Carter. Love it. My name is John, but I go by Jack. Yeah. Same syllables. Same Here. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they got married in the 1960s and they adopted a daughter who was their only child named Lisa. It has been reported that Irene's relationship with her daughter was strained to say the least. Neighbors remembered Irene as kind and she kept mostly to herself. She loved to garden and kept an immaculate yard. In 2015, Jack uh, was diagnosed with dementia and was moved to a care facility. Oh, um, her daughter, Lisa, now Lisa Freyhout, she got married to a gentleman named Dean Freyhout. They were living uh, about two hours away in the city of Calgary. So Irene was essentially on her own living in Lethbridge. And for context, Lethbridge is about two hours south of Calgary, Calgary being one of the major cities in Alberta. So on January 7th, 2016, Irene Carter's body was discovered by her son-in-law, Dean, and her daughter, Lisa, inside her Lethbridge home. 
It wasn't difficult for Dean to locate Irene. When he entered the home, he'd gone through the back door, which was common practice for him and his wife. And when they approached the staircase um, from the basement, he saw her body on the landing in front of the oh front my door. God. He could see blood around her head and he immediately called 911, stating that he had thought she'd fallen down the stairs. When emergency personnel arrived at the home, it became clear to them right away her injuries were not consistent with the fall down the stairs. Irene Carter, the 78-year-old grandmother, had been murdered. The Lethbridge Violent Crimes Unit was called in to investigate. Like, what do you got it out for a 78-year-old? 78-year-old? 78-year-old, yeah. 78-year-old grandmother. Like, So when the investigators arrived a short time later, they initially believed the incident to be a robbery gone wrong. Furniture was turned over throughout the home and the drawers in her bedroom dresser were uh, ransacked as well as her jewelry box. In season three, episode two of CBC's true crime reenactment series, The Detective, Steph Out of Lies, the character who plays Detective Sergeant Ryan Steff, who was the lead, the real-life lead investigator on the murder case of Irene Carter, was quoted to say, Her clothing is soaked in blood, blood running through her eyes, blood down her face. You could see the stab wounds through her chest into her heart area. Obviously, she was stabbed. So the investigator's first order of business was to interview Dean the son-in-law and his wife who had discovered Irene's body. Lisa told detectives that she and Dean lived in Calgary, a two hours drive from Lethbridge, and they had not heard from her mother Irene for a few days. Lisa stated that she had asked her son, Forrest, who lived in Lethbridge, if he would go check on his grandmother, as she had many times before, but he was away on a camping trip with his friends and was unable to. After being unable to reach Irene for a couple of days, Lisa and Dean drove the two hours from Calgary to Lethbridge to check on her. Instead, they found her body. Dean then described to detectives how he had found Irene. He told investigators that he had entered Irene's home from the back door through the basement, a standard practice. After going up the stairs towards the front door, he spotted Irene. He saw her and saw the blood around her head and that it was dry. knew right away that he could not help her. He shouted to his wife, Lisa, who was waiting outside to not come in the house. After taking both Dean and Lisa's statements, detectives informed them that Irene had been murdered. They both appeared shocked at the news. Lisa then shared with detectives that the last time she had spoken to Irene, Irene had told her of a pushy repairman that had been by the house trying to get her to hire him to do some work. Um, nothing more of note was discussed. Interview. <clears throat> not investigation. Yes. So, Irene's autopsy results showed that she had been killed four days before her body was discovered. So that would have been uh, sometime in the afternoon of January 13th, 2016. She had been stabbed 18 times in the chest. Wow, that's overkill. And suffered multiple blunt force injuries to her head. She had suffered traumatic brain injuries uh, in the attack and she ultimately bled to death. Oh my God. Now detectives had information they needed to begin their investigation. 
The, one of the first things they did is they obtained access to Irene's phone records and saw that in the hours leading up to her death on January 13th, Irene had listened to a voicemail, then picked up a phone call from her daughter, Lisa. And then um, after that, she had received another call from a friend that had gone unanswered. So they assumed that at the time that second call came in, that she was already dead. Right. Uh, so with this new information of the phone records, it was time for detectives to get Lisa and Dean's alibis for the day of Irene's murder. Lisa and Dean were both brought back into the police station uh, for further questioning. And Lisa was asked about the phone call to Irene that took place on the day of the murder. Lisa told detectives that she and Irene had not discussed anything important. Mm -hmm. um, just, uh, just the pushy repairman right. that okay. had been by the house that Lisa had mentioned in the first interview. Okay, so Dean was questioned about how he could notice the head trauma to Irene, but not the blood pooling on her chest. Dean had advised the detectives that he had seen the blood around her head from a distance and didn't get close enough to the body to see the further right. injuries. So the, the at blood that point, the whatever you see, are you really going to be like, oh, let's take a closer look? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're probably getting the F out of there. Yeah, and he stated yeah. that the blood was dry, so he knew that right. it was already, yeah. it was too late. Yeah. So, uh, the detectives asked uh, both Dean and Lisa about their whereabouts at the time of Irene's murder. Dean advised detectives that he had been at work at the time, and Lisa said that she'd been spending the day with a friend. So, we don't have the name of this friend, so for the sake of the story, I'm going to call her Janet. Uh, Janet and uh, Lisa had gone shopping together. After returning to Lisa's home just for, I don't know, to hang out for a bit, Janet left and then Lisa said that around dinner time she had gone to the gym um, and on the way there she called her son Forrest and she had told him that apparently. So uh, both Dean, Dean's co-workers and boss confirmed that he was at work that day. And Lisa's alibi also was confirmed. A few days later, a questionable social media post from Irene's grandson, Lisa and Dean's son, Forrest, appeared online, proving that uh, Forrest had not been away camping the weekend that his grandmother oh. was murdered. So, of course, he was brought in for questioning. Right. That's shady. When asked why he lied to his mother about being camping, Forrest admitted to detectives that he lied about his whereabouts because with him living in Lethbridge and his mom living in Calgary, his mom, Lisa, was always getting him to do things, check on his grandma, and he kind of was sick of it and right. didn't want to. That's fair. So he said that he was camping. Yeah. Uh, so in the uh, episode of CBC's The Detectives, uh, Sergeant Steph, the real Sergeant Steph, was... Uh, he described Forrest as coming off as genuine and that he believed right away that Forrest right. was shook and genuine about what he was saying, but he had to check his alibi. Forrest said that he was in class, which his professor confirmed, and he was ruled out as a suspect. Way to go, Forrest. Yeah. Poor guy. So uh, this left detectives with just one more lead to investigate this mystery repairman that Lisa mm, right. told yeah, yeah. that she made sure she told them about not once but twice. Um, <clears throat> so 
They went around to Irene's neighbors to see if they could get any information on that. Irene's neighbors had come, one of Irene's neighbors had come forward to tell investigators that they'd seen a gas company canvassing the area in the days leading up to the 13th, the day of uh, Irene's murder. Yeah. Detectives located the gas company in question, and more importantly, the name of the salesman who had been in the area. So it was an ex-con named Dennis. Ooh. Detectives managed to Dennis track... the Menace. Dennis the Menace. Yeah. <laughs> so detectives managed to track Dennis down in Edmonton, Alberta, and they brought him in for questioning. Dennis confirmed to detectives that he had been in the area um, in Lethbridge on the 13th, but he claimed that he had not been at Irene's home. And when they showed him a photo, he said that he had not recognized her. Mm. He also submitted to a polygraph test, which he passed. So they eventually ruled him out as a suspect. Dennis, not the menace. Dennis, not the menace. Imagine though, like that, like you're an ex-con. Yeah. Like, what are the odds? Yeah. Like, are you serious? I've, I've written my wrongs. I've done my time. And now I'm getting pulled into this murder case. Oh, my God. After just, Dennis. like, trying to work my job. Like, trying right? to get my life back on yeah. track. Yeah. Poor, poor Dennis. But we don't hear from him again. So, he was cleared. He's not a suspect. So, with all their leads coming back less than satisfactory detectives tracked Irene's bank cards and at uh, the bank de the detectives were informed that a cash withdrawal had taken place on January 13th of about a thousand dollars so who would have Irene's bank cards they thought well the killer duh so the bank sent detectives ATM camera footage and they were stumped to see the footage of not Irene and not Lisa, but an unknown brunette woman. Wow. So, armed with the photo of this mystery woman, <clears throat> so sorry. <clears throat> so, armed with a photo of this mystery woman, detectives decided to make a visit to the one person who knew Irene best, her daughter Lisa. So, they informed Lisa of all of the findings and showed her the photo. Lisa denied knowing this woman. Um, that they showed the they showed the photo. She didn't know her, uh, but Lisa also mentioned that it was really strange because she had also withdrawn money from her mom's bank account of about a thousand dollars on January thirteenth. What? Yeah. So why was Lisa using Irene's bank cards? They the detectives were wondering. Well, it turns out uh, earlier in twenty fifteen. Um, prior, so prior to Irene's death and her, with her husband already in the care facility, Irene with, um, who was diagnosed with schizophrenia, she had a psychotic episode, which resulted in Lisa assuming power of attorney over both of her parents. So if you're not familiar with the term power of attorney, basically what that is, it's a legal document that allows someone to make decisions for you or act on your behalf if you no longer can or want to make your own decisions. So this basically gives you, this person takes over all your finances, everything. So, so do we know whose decision that was? Was that Irene or... Jack's decision or I can't imagine it was Jack's because he has no. dementia or was it Lisa's decision? Like, I think it was that? like agreed upon mutual? like okay. yeah Irene and Lisa like yeah. she's their only child and essentially the only 
yeah. family that Irene had close. Right. From my understanding, she didn't have, like, she kind of kept to herself. So. Right. so this only left detectives more stumped. So they went back to the bank where it was confirmed that only one transaction had been done on January 13th and it matched uh, the amount that Lisa claimed to have withdrawn. So detectives asked the bank manager to see the footage again, this time clear as day in the, vi uh, the video footage the bank was showing them was Lisa. What? Wearing a bright pink jacket. The bank submitted the incorrect footage the first no time. No way. Yeah. So the bank sent this footage of this poor, innocent, happen? completely unrelated woman oh my just going about her daily business. And uh, yeah, so the bank screwed up there. Wow. But with uh, a good excuse for Lisa with right, they already this money. knew, like she already said that she yeah, withdrew the money. dollars yeah. so they felt it was a dead end. Yeah. So they kind of were like, well, enough of that. But right. in a stroke of luck, detectives received a call from Lisa's friend that we talked about earlier, Janet, Janet. that supplied her with her alibi. Um, so Janet was calling detectives to confess that she had lied. <gasps> Shut Lisa up. had asked her to lie to investigators about them being together on January oh 13th. Janet even gave detectives a voicemail that Lisa had left that went something along the lines of, Hey, I told uh, detectives I was with you, so if they asked, we were together on the 13th. Thanks. That's not an exact quote, but it was so like, oh my God. like, like nonchalant. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, hey, how's it going? Yeah. See ya. Thanks. Like, right. Can you just lie to detectives for me? You know, yeah, about no where biggie. I was on the day my mom was murdered. <laughs> thanks, bestie. Like, thanks. Wow. So, Lisa was now upgraded to suspect number one. Yeah, she had it. lied. Detectives were determined to find out why. So, with a warrant in hand, detectives went back to Lisa's home to confront Lisa about her lies. Lisa said her and Irene had had a fight on January 13th over the phone. So, this was the phone call that Lisa had made to... Irene that they had seen in the phone records. Yeah. Um, so it got kind of heated and Lisa said that she drove the two hours to Lethbridge spontaneously to talk to Irene. But when she arrived, there was a mystery car in the driveway. So she parked across the street and waited for the owner of the car to leave. When the person never left, she said that she drove back to Calgary without even seeing her mother. That doesn't make any sense no. at all. Like, why would you make that trip just to like, and this is your mother who has schizophrenia and there's an unknown vehicle in the driveway or whatever. Yeah. Like, you're not going to go check that out. Nope. And how long, like, how long do you think, it doesn't say in any of the news articles, like how long she stayed, but like, right. Like, I don't know. The whole thing is just super weird. Super, super sus. sus. <laughs> we said that. Yeah. So... Um, okay, so I'm not buying it, and neither was detective. Neither were detectives. I'm not buying it either. English, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so detectives informed her that they had a warrant for her phone, 
Um, the clothing that she was wearing on the 13th, which they knew exactly what she was wearing from the surveillance footage they obtained from the bank of her withdrawing that Can't money. miss a bright pink sweater. Yup. Her jacket. Jacket, well, sorry. Jacket, jacket. Her iPad and, of course, a DNA swap. Lisa handed these all over without hesitation, uh, including the pink jacket they had seen her wearing in that ATM footage. Um, so, yeah. They sent those in for forensics, and they came back with nothing. Oh, great. All of her clothing, her jacket, negative for blood or DNA. And Lisa's cell phone, it had been wiped clean with no way to recover any okay. of the data. Yeah. So that was disappointing. But her iPad, her iPad search history had searches like how to wipe a phone. Shot up. Yeah, and what can police find from a cell dump? Oh my god. Lisa, what is going on? Yeah, so she's starting to look pretty good yeah. for this. But a suspicious iPad search history. Detectives felt like they needed more that wasn't enough to book her on. Right. And as luck would have it, a second time in this investigation, just like Janet who had come clean about Lisa's fake alibi, another call came into detectives from a clerk at a clothing store in Calgary. For the sake of this story, we will call her Molly. Molly called to tell detectives that she had previously worked with Lisa at a older job and she knew her pretty well. And she was kind of suspicious of Lisa because just before Christmas, so this would have been December 2015. Lisa had gone in and purchased a jacket. Then she returned sometime after her mother's murder. So after January 13th, yeah. looking for the exact same jacket. Hmm. But Molly said they didn't have her size in stock. So Lisa was a 2XL. Yeah. And they only had a 3XL in stock. But I guess Lisa didn't care, and she bought the jacket anyway. She really loved the pink jacket. Yeah, so if that's not weird enough, af like after she left the store with the new jacket, she called Molly yeah. at the store to ask her to wipe the surveillance footage Excuse of me? her buying the second jacket. Yeah. You can't see me, but I'm just face palming. Yeah, yeah, we're all face palming here. Yeah. But, of course, Molly said that only head office had access to the cameras, and she couldn't, and she called police right away. Yeah, and she's like, that's a bit of a red flag. Like, hmm. Yeah, so if you haven't figured it out yet, the jacket she bought was the pink jacket. Right. So, detectives were able to confirm easily if the jacket Lisa had provided to them was the jacket she'd bought before the murder or the one after the murder as they still yeah. had it in pos their possession and lo and behold it was the 3XL that they had so right. this jacket wasn't even the one she was wearing the day of the murder yep another lie from Lisa I've lost track now. I know. I know. It's so hard to, to follow all of her lies. Yeah. So detectives decided to go back to Irene's phone records 
to check the voicemail that Irene had received before the phone call from Lisa. Yeah. And the phone call she had received, uh, the voicemail she received, sorry, was from an insurance company calling to inform Irene that she was no longer eligible for a mortgage-free discount on her um, insurance and she had a fee due or something like that. Right. Uh, so knowing about Lisa having power of attorney, detectives decided to look further into this voicemail and to find out more about this insurance and okay. the mortgage. So at the bank, they learned that in the months before Irene's murder in January 2016, um, a second mortgage in the amount of $100,000 had been taken out on what? Irene and Jack's home. And it was signed for by Lisa. Wow, okay. So... Because we just go and do that? Yeah. She just went and took out a $100,000 mortgage on her parents' home, which they had paid the home off. They owed nothing on it. Yeah. And that's what she had a mortgage-free insurance discount. And she was getting a call telling her that she all of a sudden no longer was eligible for it. Weird. Interesting. Yeah. So detectives asked the bank about Irene's um, account history for the year of 2015. And the bank told the detectives that uh, in the beginning of the year, there was very, very little activity. And in the last few months, so in the time since uh, Lisa had taken over power of attorney, over $200,000 had been withdrawn from Irene's bank accounts by Lisa. What? $200,000? $200,000. Well, it's not some couch change either. No, absolutely not. And like Lisa definitely didn't drive the vehicle or appear to be somebody right, like that didn't, just like, live lavishly or anything yeah like to that. just have that kind of pocket change yeah. so in inve- detective decided that they were going to tail lisa uh-huh. to see what she did on a day-to-day basis right. and see what she was up to right. and it didn't take them long to learn that lisa had a dark secret she was a gambling oh, addict. Lisa, come on. So the detectives followed her to a casino, and when they went in to talk to the employees, they said that Lisa was a regular. Oh, shoot. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, detectives felt that they had found their motive yeah, for murder. I was just going to say, there's yeah. your motive. But without a murder weapon or any way to tie Lisa to the scene, uh, detectives huh. needed more. So, uh, they called Lisa's cell phone provider and managed to get her, uh, cell phone pings from the days, the day of the murder and the days around the murder and found that on January 14th, so the day after Irene was murdered, Lisa had driven out to a rural, 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 Rural? Rural? Oh, I just lost my voice there. <laughs> I can't even spell this word. Like, I. Rural. Rural? Rural. A rural. We're going to call no. it a rural. Rural. I, I put rural here. Rural. A rural area. Rural. A rural area. <laughs> Outside 
of uh, Calgary near the small town of Airdrie, which is just north of Calgary. It's practically part of Calgary. It will be one day. One day. It's uh, it's like an extension of Calgary. Um, so thinking they would maybe uncover some evidence or a murder weapon, perhaps, they went out and searched this area, but had no luck, unfortunately. There was nothing out there. So they found themselves at Lisa's home once again to ask her about her trip to Airdrie. But Lisa had an intricate web of a story to of share with detectives. Did. Apparently she had gone to Airdrie on the 14th, the day after her mother's murder, to visit a friend, well, to see a friend, meet a friend, sorry, at a gas station who was trying to escape an abusive relationship what a stand-up citizen. Yeah. But just to clarify, she mm -hmm. technically, they found Irene on the fourth day, right? Like yes. Like four days after. Yes. So allegedly she wouldn't have known about her mom's murder at that point. Uh, no, this was the 14th. So, oh, you're right. Yes. Right? Yes. So allegedly. Correct. Allegedly. Yes. yes. Correct. Okay. Yes. So, okay. yeah. So she uh, didn't know at this quote didn't know yeah, unquote that her mom had been murdered at that time right. so she went out to airdrie to help this friend who's trying to escape an abusive relationship detectives ask her for the information of this friend to corroborate corroborate her story So Lisa didn't have her phone number or name because they had met at Gamblers Anonymous. So like AA, they don't share last names or apparently phone numbers, but this friend had Lisa's number somehow, somehow, but, and also called her from a payphone at the gas station. So she wasn't able to provide detectives with any kind of information. What if they could pull records from a payphone? To, like confirm if there was a call made on that day or something that is a good question huh but i mean like if anybody it's can an confirm ancient relic that, <laughs> confirm that for us yeah. that we'd be interested to know yeah and uh payphones are basically non-existent anymore like, yeah they're like fossils yeah yeah so she also had an excuse for why she oops forgot that she had bought a replacement jacket because when she'd gone to visit her friend in Airdrie, she gave her her pink jacket and some Aww. other things to help her get started on her new life. Wow, so selfless. So apparently she forgot, so... Slipped her mind. Slipped her mind, and that's why detectives uh, ended up with the incorrect pink coat. Another interesting suspicious yeah. story from Lisa. She's got a bunch of those. So detectives started to obviously um, become aware of all of Lisa's lies yeah. and figured that her lies would kind of become her downfall. Yeah. So a flimsy house of cards. Yeah, a very flimsy house of cards. So they had uh, decided to continue to uh, maintain a friendly relationship with Lisa right where they kind of 
pretended that they believed her lies right. so that she'd continue to talk to them. Yeah. So on April 7th, 2016, so now we're in almost four months after yeah. Irene's death, uh, detectives had set up a conference um, yeah, press conference, sorry, uh, where Lisa addressed the media and tearfully pleaded for the person who murdered, murdered her mother to come forward. So that's, that's oh my yeah. God. So that's the recording we showed you at the beginning of this episode. I'm so mad that I actually felt bad for I her know. at the beginning. It's yeah, it is. It is quite the show that she puts on there wow. like That's it disgusting. is unbelievable so uh yeah go back and listen to it now with this bit of information that we have and all her suspicious behavior and you're going to hear it completely differently than you did yeah. the first time I bet. it's it's so haunting so haunting when you first hear it you're like oh that poor woman That's and then so now that you evil. know all this and you listen to it and you're like oh just makes you so angry she's just distraught and crying and pleading for this murderer to come forward when detectives already like suspect that she's the one who killed her mother to have to stand through that like mm -hmm. obviously they set it up that way but like yeah. to have to sit through that oh yep. my god knowing what you know yeah but knowing that she doesn't know you know yeah <laughs> so uh oh. you can find the video footage on youtube as well her uh her husband dean freyhout stood next to her um while this was going on but we'll link it in the show notes yeah unbeknownst to them detectives were outside in the parking lot putting a bug in their car while they were wow. in front of media doing this press conference snake it snake it as they were leaving as documented in the CBC's true crime dramatic reenactment, the detectives, Sergeant Ryan Steph met Lisa and Dean after the press conference and casually asked Lisa about the second mortgage that had been taken out on her mom's house. Lisa pretended she knew nothing about it, although she was the one who signed for it. Detectives kind of shrugged it off and left. One Dean and Lisa in their car and believed to be out of earshot of anyone, Dean began to question Lisa. He asked her about if she knew about second mortgage. Yeah. And it became clear to detectives that uh, Dean had no knowledge of his wife's crimes, including all of the money that she'd been spending. That was going to be my next yeah. question was like, how, how aware of Dean is, is he of like mm -hmm. this gambling problem? Like, mm -hmm. does he have any idea about it? And yeah. then obviously was he involved in yeah. this crime at all? So up to this point, detectives thought that maybe he was involved and had knowledge like had known what yeah. lisa was up to and what lisa had done right but right away after they bugged the car they they learned really quickly that dean was innocent in all yeah. of this and uh he was just being an amazing husband and supporting right. his wife through the loss of her poor mother. dean he got duped into this whole fucking thing too yeah but when Dean asked her what she had done with all the money, she told him that she had used it for Forrest's tuition. So no new leads coming in. On April 22nd, 2016, detectives brought Lisa back into the police station for an interrogation. They presented Lisa with all of the evidence they had against her at this time. Then they showed her some footage that detectives in Lethbridge obtained of an interview with her son, 
forest. In the footage, Forrest had admitted that he had not received any money from his mother for his tuition. Surprise, surprise. Shocking. Yeah, and that he had lied about the phone call he received from Lisa, where she said that she was going to the gym the day of her mother's murder, and he lied because Lisa had asked him to. He also admitted that he believed his mother killed his grandmother and wanted him, her own son, to be the person to discover her body. And that's the day after the murder, she had asked him to go check on his grandma. Oh my god, I can't believe that you would bring your own child into that. I can't even imagine how he must have felt like you're so supposed betrayed. to protect your children not yeah throw them under the bus and try to get them involved in your shady doings yeah like fuck off she obviously also felt the way that you do and realized the error in her ways because that's what finally broke lisa and she confessed wow Lisa told detectives that when Irene had received the voicemail from the insurance company on January 13th, she was livid because she did not know about the mortgage Lisa had taken out. They had gotten into a heated argument over the phone where Irene confronted Lisa about her gambling addictions. Uh, Apparently an ongoing issue. She was apparently, she'd gone to rehab at one point for it and was, they all thought, recovered. So Dean must have known about the gambling issues then, like... I think that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure he was suspicious, but she was supposed to be a recovered gambling addict. Right. And as far as all of her family and friends were concerned, she was recovered. Right. That's right. Lisa decided to get in her car and drive the two hours from Calgary to Lethbridge to, quote, come clean, unquote. When she arrived, a fight ensued. And it escalated quickly when it moved into the kitchen. Lisa said that Irene had grabbed a knife from the knife block and demanded that Lisa leave. Lisa took the knife from Irene and stabbed her, pushed her down the stairs. And when she saw that she was still breathing, she proceeded to bash her head into the floor until she stopped. Wow. Disgusting. She then staged the robbery. She'd gone around the house tossing things about and uh, she also said that she removed the landline phone cord so that if Irene was still alive, she couldn't call for help. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. That, She's, yeah. that is so extra. Yep. She oh my God. She said that she then drove back to Calgary, ditching the murder weapon in a dumpster in Claire's home along the way. Uh, she said when she arrived home, she washed her truck, threw away her shoes, and donated her clothing to Goodwill. Oh my god, what are you doing? Could you imagine <laughs> being the person that bought this jacket I from mean, Goodwill thinking that you, you know, you've got this amazing new jacket, and then seeing on the news I'm that, so uncomfy yeah. right now. Like, you and I love thrifting, yeah. and that is just like... Oh, now every time I buy anything from the thrift store, I'm going to ask myself, like, could this have been involved in a murder? Right? Like, Like, I'm never going to, that's never going to fall out of my head. Absolutely. That's going to live there. Yes. After this, all of her lies began and her lies essentially became her downfall. So Lisa Freyhout was arrested on April 22nd, 2016 and charged with second degree murder of her mother, Irene Carter. 
In 2018, Lisa pled guilty to second-degree murder. It was only then that Irene's friends and family were able to hear the grisly account of Irene's murder in an agreed statement of account. Healthcare workers took the stand to give impact statements along with family and friends. And with Irene's schizophrenia diagnosis, Irene was under a community treatment order. Care workers talked about how they had become suspicious of Lisa once she took over power of attorney in the way that she was handling Irene's money. How she had took away Irene's driver's license, sold her cars, and took away her debit and credit card. Like, just stripped her of yeah. any independence. Absolutely. Oh. Irene was frustrated with the loss of her independence. The healthcare workers tried to confront Lisa and they said that she became hostile and defensive. Of course she did. And Lisa's defense lawyer painted a picture of a troubled upbringing in a very strained relationship between a mother and her adoptive daughter. He said Lisa, Irene had been very hard on her and Lisa said that there was times where Irene would tell Lisa that she wished she had never adopted her. I mean, can't blame her. Nope. After the numerous impact statements from family and friends, Lisa addressed the courts in what was described by CBC News as another tearful public address. Lisa said, and I quote, I am so sorry for everything I've done to everyone. For the rest of my life, I will regret this and I am very sorry. Lisa was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole until 2029. This is such a heartbreaking case, relatively close to home for us. Yeah. And uh, since then, uh, Detective Sergeant Ryan Steff, he now has gone on to become a training officer with the Lethbridge Police Force. He uses the case of Irene Carter to show the impact that gambling addiction can have yeah. um, on people and how it can lead to violence and sometimes murder. Like, I, you know, any kind of addiction, you know, people prominently think about drug mm-hmm. addictions and stuff like that, tearing families apart and becoming violent in situations. But you forget, like, there's there's other addictions, too, like gambling addictions, yep. right? And yep. Money. Yeah. Money. Money is the root to all evil, they say. Yep. And, yeah, so she was worried that her, she was going to lose everything and murdered her own mother uh so one thing that i wrote that really breaks my heart and every time i think about it a little piece of my heart like just dies um is that the family had decided not to tell irene's husband jack how his wife had died when he would ask why his wife and his daughter didn't visit him anymore they told him that his wife had died of natural causes and that Lisa was just too busy to visit him. Oh my God. It would be too painful for him to know the truth. So John Jack Carter died on May 19th, 2018, never knowing the horrible fate that his wife had suffered at the hands of their daughter, Lisa Freyhout. Oh my God. That's so, so sad. That is, that is, that is, Jack. that is that. Like, like even now like I get kind of like I don't know like my yeah. body just gets so like cold and tingly just yeah. it's just Jack. so sad poor yeah. Jack poor Forrest poor, poor Forrest like, yeah. exactly. everybody involved in this it's just except Lisa it's of just course. so awful yeah and um one thing that I want to mention that I uh 
wanted to leave till the end is that like I actually know Lisa I worked with her for oh. a time so yeah and I, I worked with her for about a year wow I'm not gonna say anything about I'm not gonna give my personal opinion on her just because I don't want it to well this went a different direction <laughs> yeah, I don't want it to affect the story right um so most of the information that I got on this and like a huge, huge chunk of it came from CBC News. Yeah. They did an extensive, extensive, extensive coverage on this, mm -hmm. including the uh, the true crime reenactment series episode. Uh, so CBC has a show, a program. You can get it on CBC Gem if you have a fire stick or whatever. You can yeah. you just have to make an account. It's absolutely free. You can watch all the episodes. It's episode um Season three, episode two. It's called Steph Out of Lies. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm going to have to check that, that out. So uh, they also, you can also go back through their archives and read all of the news articles. And it's so crazy to read this because I find that sometimes when you're trying to research a case, it's really difficult to find like the older stories right. like the ones that they released before you knew the outcome yeah so but you can actually go back and see all of the articles like you can read the article that they put out the day they found her body yeah when they had no idea right who had murdered her they'd also done an article like a press conference i should say where they were pleading for this mystery friend of lisa's the gambling addict. oh yeah the gambling sorry the gambler's anonymous friend to yeah. come forward who had the pink jacket like yeah. they even went and like put out a press conference looking for this woman like, wow. it's crazy cbc a... did it justice yeah. i also got some of my information from the calgary herald of course and the calgary sun yeah and uh as well as um irene carter's uh obituary yeah where they painted how loved she was oh, and how yeah. tragic her passing was yeah. and we'll link as we have been we'll link um all our resources yeah. in the show notes um Absolutely. we're also going to um put that episode in the show notes that you can watch yep from gem uh, from gem the detectives yes and we'll link some resources for um if you or anybody you know is facing any gambling addiction also family violence resources um that you can find in there as well so um if you do if if you are affected by it um by family violence or, or gambling addiction or you know somebody who is um obviously it can directly and indirectly affect the lives of, of your loved ones, your family, your friends. So um, we'll make sure that those resources are available for you in the description of the episode. So yeah. check that out. Absolutely. Um, so, and then, yeah, if you're still listening, we're just going to yeah. go over a little bit of um, housekeeping. 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 <laughs> housekeeping. <laughs> um, yeah. So first of all, we just want to thank you guys so much for uh, supporting our podcast. Yes, yeah, so we appreciate your support. Yes. We appreciate your feedback. Um, you can continue to give us feedback. You can find us on the social media. Uh, we are on TikTok at Homebrew Murder Crew. We are on Instagram at Homebrew Murder Crew. And we are we, we are on email. You can email us at homebrewmurdercrew at gmail.com. Yeah, so just drop us a line. We want to hear all the feedback, good or bad. Yes. If it's bad, 
we might just ignore you. If it's bad, we'll be sad. We'll just kidding. Uh, no, I mean, constructive feedback is great. And Absolutely. we definitely appreciate it. Just, you know, be kind. We don't yeah. like bullies. Um, we've got uh, another episode coming to you in a couple weeks. It's going to be exciting because Absolutely. we have a special somebody that's going to be joining us. And we shall introduce her to you guys on that day. Absolutely. So we're not going to spill any beans before then. Um, we want it's- it to be a surprise and keep you coming back for more. It's also bottling day, it's also so bottling you get day. to be a part of that sort of yeah, kind that, of. We're gonna have shenanigans. a brand new batch of wine yeah. ready to drink. That's right. It's our moon wine, so we uh, made it from water that we charged under the full moon. Because we be witchy like that. It's blood moon wine. Blood moon right? wine or hunter's moon wine. It's blood moon. It's blood moon. It's blood moon. Yeah. Same, same moon. Same, same, same moon. Yeah. Anyways. So that's exciting stuff too. So uh, we cannot promise that we will be completely sober for that episode. No, no promises. Um, but again, we just want to thank everybody for uh, putting up with us. Yeah. And joining us on this oh, adventure. Oh, Megan got a microphone for this episode. Yes. So like, hopefully our sound quality is bigger, better, bigger, <laughs> better. Again, <laughs> my speaking isn't better, but um, I had a long 12 hour shift at work. Yeah. Um, hopefully our sound quality is better. Um, there might be some crackles in here that we'll try to edit out, but like, bear with us, you know, yeah. we're working on We also had a change of venue today, so yeah. we are uh, not in Christy's closet. We're in Megan's closet! We're in Megan's closet! Woo! Yeah. And it is homey in here, let me it tell you, homey. I feel so comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anyways, we won't yep. keep you for too much. Absolutely. Here. So uh, I think that at this point we have decided that we are going to release episodes every second Wednesday, bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Is that the right word? Yes. Yeah. Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly. Absolutely. All right, guys. Um, we're gonna chat with you yeah. in two weeks. Then we'll yep. see you in two weeks. All right. We love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.